Matthew chapter 5, I'm going to talk about dealing with anger in the kingdom of God. This whole year we're looking at the kingdom of God. You were born again into it, whether you understood it, whether you appreciate it, you're in a new kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. It's an eternal kingdom. It's a way of life. Now, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 21 to 26, if you will, and stand with me as we read Matthew 5, 21 to 26. <clears throat> Matthew 5, 21 to 26, we will begin together now. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Let's pray. Father, this is big. Everything you've said in these verses leading up to this lead us to the precipice of a huge, deep truth and convicting truth about anger. I pray, God, we take it very carefully, very seriously. And ponder it. God, there's no way in one service I could deal with this, so I need your help. I pray you'd open our eyes and our hearts to examine our own lives and see what we're like, how much trouble we're in with you because, not because we've killed anybody, but because we've been angry for so much of our lives. So help us as Christians. Help those who are trying to deal with anger and they're not even saved. They have no help at all. Help them realize Jesus can help them. Jesus can take away the anger. Jesus can replace it with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. So I ask that you would give us listening ears this morning. Don't let anything come between us in your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> All right. What we read is a, is, is, is a lot of stuff, so pay close attention. I'm going to just kind of like... A surfboard going to skim across some of the truths here. Jesus mentions something called the Sixth Commandment. The Sixth Commandment, you may not know or remember, is thou shalt not kill. And so he's talking about the law. And again, he had mentioned in the previous verses that we talked last week, he wasn't saying, oh, forget the law. I've got a whole new set of rules to live by. No, he takes people back to the law and he takes us deeper. He takes us and anchors us even tighter. So he focuses not on the killing part, but on the anger part. And that's scary because I've never killed anybody outside. But in my heart, oh, there's a lot of graves. <laughs> wow. So let's talk about anger. Now, last week in verses 17, 18, 19, and 20, Jesus taught about the importance of God's law. And he was forewarning that he's going to say things they're going to freak people out, going to overwhelm them. Uh, there were many people who worried that Jesus was going to change God's laws. There were people who would have loved for Jesus, who would have done away with the law so they could just live any way they please. But Jesus said he had, not, he had not come to change or to do away with the law. He had come to do something that was impossible. He came to fulfill the law. He came to to fulfill all the righteousness of the law. All the expectations were fulfilled by him. He also came to fulfill all the prophecies of the prophets. 
That's what he did and what he is doing right now. Now, there were three groupings or classifications of Moses' law that Jesus would refer to. One of them is the moral laws. Thou shalt not kill is a moral law. It's morally wrong to kill. Would you agree with that? All right. So there are moral laws. And um, uh, they are the same throughout history. It was wrong to lie 2,000 years ago. It's wrong to lie today and tomorrow. There are also civil laws. Those are God's instructions on how to govern people, what to expect, both of your leaders. Isn't it nice that we have expectations of our leaders? They're not dictators. And what is expected of us as citizens. They are the foundational ways that any good government operates. Is if, if a government is safe, it's because it's following biblical civil laws. Third, there's another group called ceremonial laws. and Those were the ceremonies of the Old Testament that you had to go through to make things right between you and God. You could not just go up to God and worship without a sacrifice, without a lamb, without... If you couldn't afford a lamb, you were supposed to bring two turtle doves. There were instructions on ceremonies uh, on how to worship God. Now, the only thing that has ever changed since Moses, the time of Moses, is the ceremonial laws, and they changed when Jesus came because he replaced all access to God to come through himself. Isn't that good? You do not have to go to a priest. You do not have to uh, go to a temple. You do not have to go to Jerusalem. You don't have to uh, do any of the Levitical ceremonial laws to be right with God. All you need is Jesus. And right now, even when you don't know what to do, he's interceding for you right now to make up for the fact that you're not even trying. <laughs> so all the ceremonial laws are done away with. Now, God's law was not and is not frivolous. It is the foundation for what we call grace. You ever ponder grace? Grace is somebody being kind to you when you don't deserve it, amen? But the foundation of grace is found in God's laws. The entire gospel is not the doing away of the law, but the entire gospel is built upon the need for the law. Without God's law, the gospel makes no sense. The gospel is a bright, beautiful gem when it's, in, when it's shown in light of the law and the righteousness of God, and you realize, I've been made right through Jesus Christ. I can't be right because the law always is impossible to perfectly keep. So when I understand the gospel, I understand God raised me up from the miry clay, and he raised me up to a position of justified just as if I'd never sinned. And when I understand the law, then I appreciate the gospel. So, um, throw away the law and you self-destruct. The law is not something we're frivolous with, we don't care about, and there are too many Christians today who don't even dabble in the Old Testament because they say, oh, that's the old God. Really? The God of the Bible doesn't get old. And he says, I am the Lord, I change not. So, another point. Christianity does not reject the law and say the world can now live fine without it because you cannot live without the law. The world still needs God's laws just as it needs God's grace. Jesus said not one jot or one tittle, which is a dot or a crossing of a T, would disappear from the law until heaven and earth would be done away with. And they're still here, so the law is still here. So after Jesus reinforced people's respect for God's laws and their anticipation that, that, that what Jesus was going to teach was the law, he goes right for the heart. And he's good at that. See, he, the Pharisees would talk about all the things you had to do with your hands, all the restrictions on your eyes, all the restrictions on your feet, what you could do and what you couldn't do. And Jesus says, uh, let me talk about your heart, which is a whole lot harder. So we're going to talk about managing Anger in the kingdom of God. First of all, I need you to go back to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, and let's see with our own eyes the commandment. Exodus chapter 20, in verse 13. All right, now this is the list, starting in verse 3 is the first commandment. You're down to the sixth commandment in verse 13. It says, Thou shalt not kill. That's a command. It's pretty clear. 
But the truth is, there's a lot to that commandment. Um, uh, the words, thou shalt not kill, see, they think, they knew that there were times that you had to kill, but the commandment was, if you ponder it and you understand the context of everything, you shall not kill without a good reason. Because the command was to never go out of your way to end the life of anyone out of anger. We're speaking, of, we're speaking of something called premeditated homicide, or what we know as murder. Watch Jesus interpret this very commandment, if you will. Now go to uh, chapter Matthew 19, 18. <clears throat> and if you look at verse 17, Matthew 19, 17, And he said unto him, Why callest, this is Jesus speaking, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou, if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And this lawyer says back to him, Well, which ones do I have to worry about? And Jesus said, and he started to list them, Thou shalt do no, what's he say? All right, so when the Bible says thou shalt not kill, it's not just a generic you can't kill. Because otherwise you'd have to be, you know, a vegetarian, a vegan, somebody who can't ever eat anything of another animal. And he says, thou shalt, not, thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness or lie. So we're dealing with what we, what we have termed in, in the legal terms, premeditated homicide. I prefer just the word murder, it's much simpler, amen? Let me ask you, if a death was accidental, somebody enters into your home, and you're greeting them, and they trip, and they fall, and they hit their head on your floor, and they die? Is that murder? No, it's an accident. If something is in self-defense, somebody enters into your home, begins to take one of your children, and you come up there, and you try to wrestle them back, and they start to fight you, and you push them out a window, and they fall to the end accidentally, Oops! <laughs> and they hit the floor, and they die, that's not murder. That is manslaughter, but it is justifiable manslaughter. You're self-defending. You're trying to save somebody else from being taken out or hurt or whatever, and it is, it is justifiable. Now, the courts are getting real dodgy about any kind, but I'm going with the Bible if you don't mind. By the way, if this nation is attacked and a call goes out for people to rise up and defend it in a time of war, it is not wrong to stand up and say, I'll join the army and defend this nation, defend the rights of the people to live here. It is not killing and murder when you do it to defend your nation. So not all forms, as we'll say, of, of killing is murder. So, here's a great truth. The Bible never says all killing is wrong. Don't get that idea. But that premeditated murder obviously is wrong. Secondly, if anyone has ever killed, it better be for a very good reason. Would you agree with that? That's why people don't join the army for conscientious reasons. They say, I don't think we have a good enough reason. Fair dues. So if somebody has to go to war, or if you ever have to stop somebody from hurting somebody else and they end up dead, um, it better be for a very, very good reason, or else you will face judgment, and you should. Because if you ever, we, we, we put thieves into jail, we put um, uh, uh, people who are, are murderers into jail because there is a judgment for murder. But Jesus not just says killing, um, he took it further. Go back to Matthew chapter 5 and look at verse 22. And I know I'm speaking to the 21st century type of Christian who really watches everything on YouTube and watches everything on Netflix and watches everything. You'll watch 400 murders in a week, and yet you'll say, you know, uh, I don't believe in the death penalty. I believe we shouldn't kill, and yet you'll watch all these guys. There's a guy named Matt Damon who played all these people who kill, and, and he's a secret spy and all these things, and yet this guy says we should ban all guns, and yet he makes his money shooting guns. Good night. So I know I'm talking to people who believe the politics of Hollywood, which is stupid because you can't even believe the movies of Hollywood. But verse 22, Jesus says, verse 21, thou shalt not kill. But verse 22, he says these words. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause 
shall be in danger of the same judgment as a killer. That is serious. You see, in the kingdom of God, things are taken even more seriously than, that, than just thou shalt not kill. Because if I asked most everybody in this room, if I said, have you ever killed anybody? What would you usually say? I hope everyone would say never. Never killed anybody. Okay. So Jesus says, you know what? That law was not just to stop people from killing. But he's going to take it and he's going to say, I want to focus on what starts you down the path that ends up in killing. You see, we, we try to, somebody who's angry and they want to kill somebody else, how do you stop them? You have to restrain them. But if you could stop the very start of what goes on in their heart, you've actually saved somebody from murdering. <clears throat> Jesus said, I say unto you that thou shalt not get angry without a very, very good cause. Do you see that in verse 22? That whosoever is angry with his brother without a, what's the word? Okay. And he says that you're not supposed to get angry without a very, very good cause or else you'll face a judgment and a serious punishment yourself. So, evidently murder is more than an act of violence. Genesis chapter 9. Genesis, all the way back in the beginning. We have a few scriptures to look at this morning. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 5. <clears throat> Genesis 9.5 says, And surely your blood of your lives shall I require, talking about you'll have to die, at the hand of every beast will I require it, at the hand of a man, at the hand of every man's brother will I require the life of man. What is going on? Verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And he says, if there's a killer and he's premeditated, he has shed man's blood on purpose, for whatever reason, he must, he must die. It's called, the, it's called the death penalty. So now Jesus is taking, you say, I, I, I don't know if I can understand this. I don't know if I believe this. Yes, you do. Because when Jesus talks about adultery, where does he say it begins? in the heart. And he says, if you lust after a woman, it is what? It is the same as adultery. So Jesus now, before he deals with adultery, he deals with, with one of our most common attitudes. Anger. Anger. Every one of us have a button. But all we need is somebody to push it. And we think that, well, I'm just using words. And I'm going to be plain with you. Your words are weapons just as if you had a big stick or you had a rock. So, evidently, murder, Jesus is saying, is more than just an act of violence. Now, the death penalty is not something society can vote on, and yet Ireland voted on it, got rid of it, which was stupid. But it is necessary, and it is clearly part of the very same law that says, thou shalt not kill. The very same law that says, thou shalt not kill, says you need to kill the murderer. A murderer has to know there is an equal punishment for murder. So here's a kid, and a kid, a child comes along, and the child, um, uh, I mean, have you ever heard of uh, a child biting another child? These are poor examples. And then you take the little child and you go, don't do that. And the little child is, don't be upset at me. You go, no, that kid has no idea just how wrong that was. So the punishment should match the crime. Now, it depends on the age. We obviously, we're talking not with three-year-olds, although some adults act that way. So, but there is, your, your punishment should match the crime. How do you match the crime of murder? By taking their life. Now, that's Bible. That may not be modern society. I could care less. I'm going to teach what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, the sanest thing to do is to just follow Jesus. So, no law is any good unless it's enforceable. But God's sixth commandment deals with more than, um, uh, than just an act of violence. It covers the reasons for the violence, our motives, our attitudes, our feelings that will lead to murder if we don't conquer them. What kind of attitudes lead to murder? Well, it's not love, joy, and peace. I mean, when you love someone, you don't want to kill them. When there's peace in the home, you don't want to kill. No, anger, wrath. How about this word? Grudges. Being constantly offended. That is the beginning of... And if you could get away with it, you would kill. By the way, 
These aren't just feelings. They are wrong. If you continually have anger, your anger is wrong. If you continually carry a grudge, God says it is wrong. Can you agree with that? If somebody just cannot be in your presence, now maybe you offended them, you hurt them, but their grudge now is hurting them more. That grudge is sin in their life now. And when they hold on to it and they say, I cannot, I will not, I hate that person, Jesus says, be careful. Somebody may have hurt you, but if you carry the grudge, if you could get away with it, you'd poison them. <laughs> How many of you have ever heard of uh, a, a chef in a restaurant spitting in the soup out of spite? You say, oh, that's terrible. They do it because they have a grudge. Maybe they haven't been paid right, or maybe they haven't been taken care of, or maybe somebody constantly complains and says, well, I'll teach them. Would you agree that's wrong for them to do? Of course it's wrong. And it's wrong to carry that grudge because if you could get away with it, you'd go as far as you could, even as far as murder. The sixth commandment deals with the result of a heart problem. And by the way, it's in every heart. And it's vital that we understand what anger grows into. So let me give you some Bible truths about anger, and we'll come back to Jesus here in a moment. Uh, uh, first of all, murder begins in the heart first as anger. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. Mark seven twenty one. Mark 7, 21 begins, Jesus is speaking, and he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, comes from the heart, fornications, pornography, murders, come from where? Out of the heart comes murder, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lying to one another, lasciviousness, and evil eye. Blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they ruin, they defile the man. That's why, that's why every murder investigation doesn't just look at the fact that somebody's dead. But it looks at if somebody else is over here and they find out, all right, maybe they had their hand in it. What was going on? Was it self-defense? You look to see, were they angry at that person before? Did they say, I'll kill them? <laughs> And then all of a sudden they're dead. It's called, it's then premeditated. They, judges and the courts examine what's almost available to see in your heart, to see if you were angry with that person or if there had been fights with them before the death occurred. Uh, anger, uh, I have to hold this for a second. I got too much to say. Anger is a weapon that we allow ourselves to use. I mean, it'd be rude. I mean, terrible uh, to... to you know, live next door to somebody and they're in an argument and they're throwing rocks at each other. I mean, you would intervene if you heard rocks hitting the wall, amen? Miss me. <laughs> but words we allow, don't we? Anger is a weapon we allow ourselves to use because we think it's not deadly. We think we can control our anger. We think it's usually, it's necessary to make sure the other person hurts as much as they hurt us can't physically do it, but I will use my words, and I will use my attitude as a weapon. If you know anything about growing up in an angry home, you know that anger is worse than a knife, because there's plenty of kids who wish they could just end it. That is why the Bible says that anger and hatred are just as bad as murder. Let's go to 1 John, 1 John, almost to Revelation, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. Yeah. I love this verse because it's always, you got to take things in context, in that, you know, it's hard to love some people. Amen? Amen. I got one amen. Somebody's honest. But here, this is how you can tell somebody's gone from, from death into life, from darkness to light. Verse 13. Verse 14 says, we know that we've passed from death into life because we love the brethren. There's something happening in our heart where we just want to get along with people. We love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother 
still abides where? You've got to catch yourself and go, well, I really don't love church. I really don't like Christians. I really wish I could just go back to the pub. Well, then you're not saved, bud. Amen. If you don't love the brethren, then there's no proof that you ever got saved. Verse 15. Whosoever kills his brother, is that what it says? Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And ye know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. So is, is John saying that if somebody goes out and murders somebody, that they're evil? No, he says, if you hate somebody, you're just as evil. Is that scary? That is revolutionary because that's what used to separate Christians from the rest of the world. We stop hating. We stop hating. Because anger is a weapon. And we choose to use the weapon of prayer. We choose to use the weapon of reason. We choose to use the weapon of self-sacrifice. Murder begins in the heart. Secondly, anger is usually a sin. 99% of the time, you know, it's not always wrong to be angry. Just as it's all, not always wrong to kill. Remember, self-defense, accidental deaths are not murder. Jesus never did say, never be angry. Or else he sinned when he walked into the temple one day and he saw everybody taking advantage of poor people coming in, trying to worship God, and he says, oh, you can't worship with that lamb, you have to buy my lamb. And they took advantage of them, they were money changing, they were exchanging things for a higher price, and Jesus went livid. Don't you say he was nice. Well, he, you know, he, he just got upset, he raised his voice. No, he overthrew the tables. He put together a whip and cracked it over the heads of those money changers. He was mad, amen? But he was not sinning. Now, that's kind of funny because all the new Bibles say that he was. Listen to the NIV. It should be labeled the HIV. The NIV says in Matthew 5, 22, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Oh, if I ever get angry, I'm going to be judged. What? That's loopy. That makes Jesus a sinner. Amen? Oh, but the new Calvinist Bible is called the ESV, the English Standard Version. Everybody wants to be standard. English Standard Version says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. And yet your King James says, Whosoever is angry without a cause. Without a cause. Got a question for you. Let's go to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17. Is there a cause sometimes to get angry? We have a very effeminate age. And when I say effeminate, I mean the guys are terrified of getting angry and the women are always angry. Did I just say that? Did I just say that? And it's true. We have an effeminate society because now there's an imbalance everywhere. But I'm telling you, don't sit there and go, well, I can never be angry. 1 Samuel, there's no cause. No, there is. Watch your verse. 1 Samuel 17. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 22. This is David. Verse 22, David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. He was glad to see him, verse 23. As he talked with them, 1 Samuel 17, 23, Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines. And he spake according to the same words, and David heard them. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were sore afraid from him. Were sore afraid. Um, I want to see how far I'm supposed to read. Down to verse 25. Yeah, okay. Uh, verse 25. And the men of Israel said, Have you not seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel has he come up. He's come to make his prisoners. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and we will give him, and he will give him his daughter and make his father's house free of taxes. In Israel, go down to verse 28. Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard when David was speaking unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? Now question. First of all, what is Eliab doing? Nothing. He's terrified of Goliath. He came to defend Israel from attack by the Philistines. 
The Philistines were there taunting them, drawing them out, and were ready to, to, to destroy them. And Eliab, big, tall, six foot 11, he was huge hunk of a young man. And David's this kid, 18 years old or so, and he comes up alongside and he's talking to everybody, guys, why aren't you doing something? Guys, why aren't you doing something? And Eliab is angry because it's making him embarrassed because his little runt brother is talking more courageously than he is. Let's, keep, let's read it again. Keep going. Verse 28. And Eliab, the elder's brother, heard when he spake unto the man, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why camest thou down hither? What are you doing here? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Well, duh, I would like to see the battle too. But verse 29, and David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Isn't there a reason to go out and take on that guy and kill him? Is there a justifiable reason that we can defend our nation and we can kill, and you guys aren't doing it? So there are times when you have a cause to be angry, just like there's a time, a cause to kill. You cannot worship God, however, in anger. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 23. Matthew 5 and verse 23. Oh, by the way, we didn't look at it. We'll look at it later. James 1.19 says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, never in wrath. Is that what it says? Slow to wrath. So it doesn't say that you can never be angry. Now, I can thank God that I didn't grow up in an angry home. I can thank God for that. But I tell you this, when my dad got angry, we stood at attention. We stopped whatever we were doing. There was a right balance. My dad was not a Christian, but he knew the right balance. And I wish men knew that. Most women live in terror where they ought to live in respect because when, if dad ever had to get angry, it ought to be for a good reason and it ought to be over with like lightning. And then it's done. So we look down here in um, uh, verse 23. Matthew 5, 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, what are you trying to do? You're trying to worship God, You're trying to honor him with an offering. Maybe it's a tithe. Maybe it's, it's just praying. You bring your gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. What do you got to do? He says, leave there thy gift right before the altar, right at the base of the altar. Go thy way. First be what? Fix things up with your brother and then come and offer thy gift. You cannot worship God in anger. 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. That means you ought to be able to stop at work when it's break time or even while you're working, don't close your eyes and pray. That men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. It's a sign of surrender, by the way, not a sign of sway. Lifting up holy hands without wrath and without doubting. So pray without anger. God, please kill my husband. <laughs> kill my wife. No, no, can't do that. Because when you're angry and you try to worship God, you're actually saying, God, move over. I'm going to tell you what needs to be done with that person. <laughs> That's what you're doing when you're angry and you're trying to worship God. It goes for women as well. Don't sit there and go, well, my husband. I bet you've got a mix of anger in your life, ladies. Jesus gives an example of somebody trying to worship God here, which is a good thing. But he's doing it in a bad way. He's doing it with anger. The moment that God brings it to memory, you, can't, you don't know what, what you've said that might have offended somebody. You, you may not be remembering what somebody's done that might have offended you. You don't know. But if something comes to your mind, what are you supposed to do? Stop whatever you're doing. What is the priority? Reconcile. Now, the other person may be angry at you. Maybe they've been hurt by you. Maybe you have been hurt by them. The two of you can't talk to each other. The two of you can't get along together. And God says, you better take it seriously because if you don't fix that thing, that anger that will well up in you wanting to hurt or punish the other person will stop you from being able to worship God. 
It has to be fixed before worship can continue. And then Jesus commands the angry person to humble themselves and go with the other person and reconcile, make things completely right. A believer who has offended someone and made them angry must make things right. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your what? Your children to anger. Why? Because it's sin. It's wrong. You're instilling in them that it's okay to be a bully. So if I have provoked anger in someone else, I need to go make it right. If they have provoked anger in me, guess what? I need to deal with my anger and try to make things right. It's always back on me. It's not, back, back, it's not on the person who has hurt me. Does, are you with me? Come on, take this in. You say, well, somebody hurt me. All right, what are you waiting for? I'm waiting for them to say they're sorry. Stupid. Because Jesus did not wait for you to say you're sorry before he went to the cross. He went ahead and cried out, Father, forgive them. He offers forgiveness. He already has paid for every sinner. He's just waiting for you to finally go, wow, now I need it. So when we're sitting here waiting for the other person to finally get right, God says, I'm talking with you, bud. You're trying to worship God and you know somebody's mad at you or you're mad at them. What do you got to do? Stop. Make things right. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Because anger will cause you to become in trouble with God. You go, well, they're in trouble. Yeah, they're in trouble, Just but ignore them. You're in trouble now when you're staying angry. Now, here's another truth about anger. Anger is addictive. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Now to mortify means to put to death. You've got to unplug it. You know, in the old days when you had a computer and it would have what was called the blue screen of death. How many of you ever had a, a, a computer and you had a blue screen of death? Some of you, come on, some of you only had an iPad all your life. Anyway. Well, when you got that blue screen of death, there was nothing to do except reach over and unplug the thing or turn it off. And when you find yourself boiling with anger and it just won't go away, you're going to have to unplug it. You cannot vent it. The only thing to do is reset. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, Mortify therefore your members. It's your body. It's your chemicals. It's your thoughts which are upon the earth. And you list fornication, which is pornography. Uncleanness in your thoughts, inordinate affection, that's loving the wrong things, evil concupiscence, wrong loves, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. For all fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, all of that stuff goes behind adultery and fornication. God's wrath is poured on people who do those things. All right, but verse 7 says, in the which he also walks sometime, when ye lived in them, do you note those words, lived in them. It was a way of life. It was something you just, you did, and you'd never, you never wanted to stop. Verse 8. But now, Paul says, ye also put off all these. And what's the first one he says, put off? Anger. He says, you're going to have to deal with anger, wrath, malice, is that scheming brain of ours. That brain that just won't stop thinking about what they did to you. That malice just gets angrier gets more bitter, says you're going to put it away. Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another. It goes on and on and on. Um, anger is addictive. By the way, there is a high, a thrill of being angry, they found out. They found out the endorphins inside your head go through the roof when you get angry. And you're like, oh, this feels good. <laughs> it is crazy. Science is finally catching up with the fact that once you go down this path, it gets hard to break because it becomes an addiction. The consequences and the scars caused by our anger may never go away. So anger and wrath and filthy mean words out of our mouth have to be thrown away, put away, or conquered. Fifth, anger is listed as a serious sin along with a lot of other things that we would fear ever having in our lives. I mean, blasphemy. How many want to blaspheme the name of Jesus? 
How many ever want to say, Jesus, you couldn't do that, and yet you'd be angry, and you'd feel comfortable with it? So if it's in the same thing, you go, well, I wouldn't do this, but you're doing that. we got to realize it's that serious. Galatians 5 says, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. That's my natural thing to do. And it's a serious sin. You need to fear, just like I do, being wrongfully angry. Because in God's kingdom, if you're angry for the wrong reason, you will face God. You will face judgment. Revelation chapter 21. Go to the right. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21 and verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable. And what's the next word? All right, murderers, whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Obviously, murderers are in danger of going to hell, amen? Now, you know how to not go to hell as a murderer? Get forgiven. God can save a murderer. Paul was one. Amen? God can save a murderer and change his record from murderer to white as snow. That's what God can do. You say, how can God, why would God save a murderer? Because that's what he does. He saves the worst if he saves it all. But we need to fear wrongful anger because anger is just as bad as murder. Now, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. They have all these games on the computer. They're called virtual games. They put these things on your, on your face now, and you're, you're, they're able to fight dragons and <clears throat> fight enemies and stuff. It's called virtual living. It's kind of funny. They don't know how to live regular, so they live in their living room. But I want to show you virtual murder that turns into murder. Genesis chapter 4, verse 3. In the process of time, came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground his vegetables, an offering unto the Lord. Is he trying to worship God? Yes, but he's doing it the wrong way because God doesn't need his vegetables. What was God expecting him to offer? Lambs. So he brings his best, verse 5, but unto Cain, I'm sorry, <clears throat> verse 4, and, and Abel, he brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat, the best thereof. And the Lord had respect. He liked Abel's and his offering. But unto Cain, watch it, and to his offering, God had no respect. God didn't even notice what Cain had done. And Cain was very raw. That's a good old word. It just means very upset, very angry. And his countenance fell. Verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? Why is thy countenance fallen? It's a good question. Why are you so upset? Now notice where that anger led. Verse 8. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were out in the field. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and what? All right. Cain's doing his best. Cain's trying to worship God. God doesn't even notice him. Gets angry. Sees God honors the sacrifice of Abel. He sees Abel as wrong. Abel, you hurt me. Abel, you're getting God's appreciation. God's giving attention to you and ignoring me. And when, when God asks him, why are you angry? Look what God's trying to do. He's trying to get Cain to think. Because if he doesn't stop, guess what he's going to do? Now, here's the truth. There was nobody else to stop him. There were no courts to put him before law. Cain could get away with carrying out the result of his anger. And so the very next step, when he's with his own brother, and they're walking in the field, and mom and dad are way away, and he's all by himself, he just stews inside of him, and he rises up and he kills his brother because he could get away with it. Do you get it? If you could get away with murder, you would. That's why God says, deal with your anger. Deal with your anger. Because in God's eyes, it always leads to murder, even if you don't get to carry it out. Virtual murder is just as bad as the real thing in God's eyes. Just like virtual adultery is just as bad as the real thing. Are you with me? 
You're just as fearful of being angry as your original offense that made you angry. Wow. See, what Jesus is saying is don't just worry about killing. He looked at a crowd and there was not one of them that would say, oh, I've killed somebody. No. But he says, I know you've heard from the law, thou shalt not kill, but I'm telling you, you better deal with what causes murder. I like how Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. And be just as afraid of becoming angry for a stupid reason as you would be afraid of killing someone for a stupid reason. Do you know, it's been said, I don't know if it's ever true, but it's been said that there have been divorces over burnt toast. Okay? It's been said. I don't know if that's ever true. But wouldn't that be a stupid reason to divorce somebody? I believe that there have been plenty of people killed wrongfully for over stupid things. Your dog was in my garden again. I'm getting my gun. <laughs> I mean, there are stupid reasons. Well, there are stupid reasons to be angry. Are you with me? And we need to be afraid of letting stupid, wrong reasons motivate us to be angry, just like it would be in any other sin. Test your anger. Back to Matthew. Test your anger. There are three questions you need to ask yourself when you may not even know you're angry. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. 5.22. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause, do you have a just cause to be angry? It's a good question. But here's how to test. Here's how to test. Shall be in danger of the judgment. Now he gives number one. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Three questions. Do you have a complaining spirit, constantly seeing problems in the other people because of what they have maybe done against you? You name call simply because maybe they've hurt you, emotionally, physically, doesn't matter. And so you fire back with the only weapon you've got at that moment. When I was a kid, uh, you know, boys would wrestle and fight, and they'd be over with. Now, man, you can't. There's, there's, nobody knows how to deal with being angry and getting it over with. So everybody uses some of the most vile words you could ever imagine being spoken by kids. The hatred that's in a child is beyond normal, beyond reason. You have to check and say, are you just looking at somebody wanting to call them something name? Are you just, do you, do you see them as a the problem? Is this a problem with complaining? Because complaining is an unresolved frustration. Does that make sense? You can't kill them, so you find something else to do to hurt them. Secondly, are you quick to call someone a hurtful name? Using your words like a weapon because you know words are safer than rocks, at least you think so. <laughs> Test your anger. Have you used a name that you go, I would never call them that? And yet you did. Do you struggle with constant anger resting in your heart instead of forgiveness? Raka is a Hebrew word for vain fellow. Now that sounds very English. But it just, it just means airhead. Idiot. Stupid. So check yourself. If you're, if you're in the place where you're just starting to call somebody names, You've got an anger now and you've crossed a line. To call someone a fool is even worse than just calling them an idiot. Because when you're, when you're doing that, especially this is, you know this person's saved, and yet you're looking at them and going, you're not saved. What are you doing? You're playing, you're playing God. There are fools out there, but just to accuse someone, you just want to hurt them. All of these words were referring to how people treated each other and they talked to each other when they're in a fight. That's what Jesus is dealing with. And Jesus condemns that. He demands that we make up with each other before we even try to worship God. How do you conquer anger? All right. Can anger be conquered? You better believe it. What makes it so hard to conquer? I'll give you two things, all right? Pride and unforgiveness. 
It's very hard to conquer anger because anger feeds our pride. My root sin is not lust or lying. What is my root sin? What is the, what is the fuel in my heart that feeds every other sin in my life? You know what it is? Pride. It's me thinking, I'm not getting what I deserve. I'm not, I'm not being treated right. It, all of this is huge that, that, that when I'm angry, I'm just feeding my pride. And the second one is unforgiveness. Do you know, anger and unforgiveness always go hand in hand. If you cannot forgive, it's because you're holding anger in your heart. That's the only reason why you can't forgive. If you can forgive, it's because there's no anger in your heart anymore. If you can forgive. If you can't forgive, then there's anger still in your heart. And it's pride. So forgiveness is priority. If you're angry for more than a day, it's because you're refusing to forgive. Does that make sense? And that is sin. So the first thing you need to do, oh, I like this picture. I thought of it. You say, well, anger is kind of hard. Yeah, so is wrestling. And you're going to have to see anger as the opponent instead of, instead of your wife or instead of your husband or instead of your boss that every time he leaves and you turn away and you start bad-mouthing him and tearing him down in your words. You've got to see my anger is the thing I've got to wrestle because you're the other person that's got to pin it to the ground and leave it there. It cannot win. That's what you have to decide. So the first thing is you need to fear. You've got to start with the fear of the Lord. Fear what anger is doing in your home. Go to Ephesians. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 26. Now, some people love this verse because they want to stay angry. <laughs> but it doesn't say that. It says, be ye angry and make sure you don't cross the line and sin not. Neither let the sun go down upon your wrath. Why, Paul? Why? Verse 27. Neither give place to the who. So when I just keep my anger fired up and keep it fueled up, I'm opening the door saying, come on in, I need some help. I really want to enjoy this anger for a little while. And the devil steps in and he takes charge. You need to fear what anger is doing in your home because you are inviting Satan into your home. And really, anger will hurt you more than the person you're trying to hurt. If you're quick to get angry, you obviously do not realize what it is, what it is doing to everyone around you. If you, have a, if you have a habit of staying angry, you're going to have to learn how to constantly repent of that anger and constantly bring it before the Lord and say, God, I plead the blood of Jesus Christ right now to purge my conscience from this bad attitude. So be very slow to be angry. You're in Ephesians. Go to verse 31. Verse 31 tells you, let most of your bitterness and wrath and anger. No, what does he say? Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So you're going to have to drop it like a deadly snake, I compare it to. If you, I mean, a snake is, is great for your enemy to feel, but you're the one holding it. And if you hold on to a deadly snake, guess who's going to get bit? And once you've allowed yourself, once there has been a bit of anger, You've got that snake, and if you don't immediately drop it, it will bite you. Proverbs 22, 24 says, Make no friendship with a, what kind of a man? With an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Don't even be around him, because you'll learn his ways. Proverbs 19, 19 says, A man of great wrath shall suffer persecution. It's going to come on him. For if thou deliver him, if you help him, yet thou must do it again and again and again because he's addicted to it. Fear being angry. Fear getting enslaved by anger and being damaged by it. Secondly, forgive the person in the same amount that you've been forgiven. Look at verse 32 there in Ephesians 4, 32. You put that anger down. Verse 32 says, and instead be ye... I don't want to be kind. <laughs> I want them to hurt. 
I want them to know they've hurt me. Be ye kind one to another. Notice that next word, tender-hearted. What is my anger? It's the opposite of tender-hearted, isn't it? Flaming-hearted. Burn. Tender-hearted, here we are, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You need to forgive before they even ask for me to be forgiven. Remember that God did, what, what did God do with all his anger that was going to be poured out on you? He poured it out on his son instead and let you go free. He didn't make you stew. He didn't make you uh, uh, feel a little bit of the heat of hell. I mean, it sure would do some people some good to feel a little bit of hell, but he forgives. He poured it out on the Lamb of God so we could be forgiven and reconciled. Do you know there's no forgiveness from God for you as a Christian without you forgiving somebody who's hurt you? There in Mark chapter 11, it says, when you stand praying, forgive. Every time you need to think about, is there anything in me that is unforgiving or that I'm holding back forgiveness from somebody else? Because if there is, I'm wasting my time praying. Does that make sense? You're not forgiving their sin against you. Only God can forgive sin. You're not saying, God, I forgive them of that sin. You can't forgive them their sin but you can forgive them for the fact that they hurt you. And you can forgive that hurt. You can forgive their motives, whatever, and just say, I forgive. Forgiveness is you paying for their crime. Forgive them. Forbear is another big word. There in Ephesians 4, look verse 2. With all lowliness and meekness, that's humility, and long-suffering, we should forbear one another in love. Now, to forbear means to hold off getting even. That's what it means, to put off getting even. Hold your tongue. I was talking to somebody during the break, and we were talking about, you know, the best thing to do when you want to say something? Don't. <laughs> I really have some choice words for so-and-so. No, forbear. Hold off, saying, and let God deal with them. Hold your tongue, put out your heart's angry fire, and by God's amazing grace, let God get even, not you. Put off. It's not your business to make sure they hurt. But that does not negate the fact that you have the right and you have the necessity to confront the other person. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 and verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. Oh, I'm not. No, if I tell him, I, he won't understand. It doesn't matter. Try it. Most problems in a home, most problems in a church are problems of misunderstandings. Problems of miscommunication. People don't talk to one another. People don't say, hey, that hurt, or I misunderstood, or why'd you say this? We'd get a whole lot further if we actually confronted one another and says, did I hear you right? Were you talking about me? <laughs> you know how many times people come up to me and say, were you talking about me in that message? <laughs> talk. Confront the person who hurt you. Don't ignore them. Be respectfully honest with them. Jesus says, go to them. Then you can forget the offense. Now this is breathtaking. Because we're commanded to forget some things. You remember Philippians chapter 3? It says, brethren, this one thing I do. What is it? Remember everything that somebody did against me. Is that what he says? No, he says, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. There are things that I choose to forget. You can't do that until you've first forgiven them, until you've first given it over to God and said, God, you deal with them, you get them. Until you've gone to them and says, that hurt. And then you could say, and it's over. I just, I just needed to tell you, and now I'm not going to hold it against you anymore. I can now forget. And then finally you can reconcile. That's that wonderful word where Jesus says, go back to the person that has either hurt you or you've hurt them, and there's division in your home. You need to go to them and reconcile. 
And you can actually resolve things very quickly if you have the right heart. Would you agree? Let me say a statement here. It only takes one to forgive. Amen? But it takes two to reconcile. Can I help you? If somebody's trying to reconcile with you, humble yourself and let them reconcile with you. Don't be so attitude where all of a sudden you become, no, I'm not letting you. I'm not letting you get away with that. Now, all of a sudden, all God's upset with you now. Somebody who's been cruel, somebody who's hurt you, somebody said something, did something, and they made, and they were angry, and you were angry, now they come and they try to get right, your first attitude will be, I'm not going to let them get right. I'm going to ignore them. <laughs> and now God has to deal with you. Don't do that. Make it easy to reconcile. Stop whatever you're doing. Even if you're trying to do good things, well, I'm going to church. Well, you better stop and say, is everything all right? Let's make things right. Go to the person. Agree with them as much as possible. I don't mean let them always be right. But you know, as much as you can agree with, agree with them, and make sure the sun does not go down at the end of the day before you get things right. And that's the mark of real Christianity. Let me ask you that. Is this easy? Because it's in our heart. This isn't something that is just genetic. It is wired into our very way we live. And that is self-defense, self-preservation. You hurt me. I'm not going to ever let you hurt me again. Really? Jesus did. Don't worry about being hurt. You will be. Worry about forgiving. Because if you don't reconcile, God's not going to protect you from the total ruin of your life in courts here. You know, if, you, if, if, you're, if your neighbors hear you screaming at your wife, I'm going to kill you, they're going to take you to jail. Amen. So you better get that anger under control before the neighbors call the cops and take you all the way. That's what Jesus is talking about. You find yourself being public in your anger, and you're going to go before the courts. And there will be a judgment seat of Christ where you'll have to stand and God says, you know, the courts were nothing compared to dealing with me now. Here's the conclusion. God's law said, thou shalt not kill without a good reason. Jesus took it further. And he said that more, murder is more than an act of violence. It is a deadly problem in our heart. So test your anger. Be constantly complaining, then you're angry. If you're constantly finding fault, you're angry. And when somebody just triggers you, you'll, you'll lash out at them uncontrolled. Check your anger. Test it. Name-calling is just angry with words. Fear your anger. Just as much as you would fear a knife in, in your hand. I can see, I can see um, uh, Leo coming into the kitchen and, and Pat's there, and she's got a nine-inch knife there, and she's stabbing the meat. She says, that Leo. <laughs> Leo goes, I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> okay, very graphic illustration of sometimes we may not have a knife in our hand, but we still have the same attitude, don't we? Watch that. Watch that. Fear your anger. What would you do? And then conquer. See, I can't conquer it. Of course you can't. That's why Jesus moved into your life and said, I'll help you. That's why you don't, you're not alone. You have a new nature inside of you that is full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Things are under control in your life if you'll just live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. Whew. Wrestle that flesh and that feeling out the door so that the Spirit can be in control. Would you bow your heads? You may remain stand, sitting for just a moment, just with your heads bowed. Just think for a moment and say, nothing else except, Lord, is there anger in my heart against anybody? When I think of something and you bring it to my mind, how quick am I to say, i got to get things right? Would you ask God to help you that when he brings past events to your heart and you think of somebody that either hurt you or you hurt them and you're angry and they're angry at you and there's division that you say, I'm sorry, I never have tried to make things right. And commit to God that you're going to make things right. Because a divided home is hell. A divided church is Satan's masterpiece. A divided society is doomed. 
Father, it'll be the hardest examination ever for us to look into our hearts and actually see that we have anger there. But we do. It's in there. And it ought to be as small as possible. It ought to be ignored and conquered often and not given fuel, not given reason or power. Because you not only said thou shalt not kill, but you said we got to be careful of anger too. Lord, thank you for teaching us about our heart. We could have 30 different reasons why we're angry, but you didn't care. You said it either has to be for a very good cause and it needs to be over very quickly, or you're wrong. And every one of us have been wrong. So please forgive us. Please help us to remember, because we're going to get angry. And we need to go, whoops, I'm putting it out right now. I'm putting it out. I'm not going to let it go. In Jesus' name, amen.